Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 243 with Kim Perrell of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What is going on, Founder Fam? Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. My name is Nathan Chan. I'm coming to you live from hometown, homegrown Melbourne, Australia. Now, I was going to say, it's crazy. It is almost the end of the quarter or almost like a quarter of the way through the year. I hope you guys are crushing it, whatever you are doing, and I hope that you are actually going out there and executing on your goals because it's one thing to set your goals, but it's another thing to actually take action and actually execute on them. And that kind of brings us to today's guest, Kim Perel. She is an incredibly talented founder and we talk about everything execution. Uh, She's built a couple of companies now and uh, yeah, we had a really, really great conversation. So if you want to know how to make sure you can stay on top of the execution of everything you've set out to do and everything like, you know, from her perspective, what it takes to become a really successful entrepreneur and founder, um, you guys are in for a treat. All right. So if you are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us more than you can imagine. Please do share this podcast with a friend or anybody that you think would get extreme amounts of value from this podcast. All right, guys, that's it from me. Now let's jump to the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job? My current job? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Well, my current job, I was acquired by uh, Singapore Telecom, a division, their digital advertising division. And so I 
went, um, you know, it was, it was through an acquisition in 2014. And then I, I had a couple of years that I learned the business and then I took over as CEO um, two years later. Gotcha. And so how'd you find yourself doing the work that you're doing today? Like where did it all start? Oh my gosh. It started in 1998. I think digital advertising was a billion dollar industry. I think this year worldwide, it's 220 billion. So thinking back two decades, I started when, you know, search was more, you know, probably the one place where everyone was um, buying digital advertising and, you know, went to work for a really hot internet startup in Los Angeles, California. And it was, it was amazing. It was right after Yahoo had gone public. And I, you know, I was going to be a dot-com millionaire. So that's, that's what I went. Isn't that what everyone does? (laughs) (laughs) I went and, and, you know, took a, took a job, you know, at a, at an internet startup that had raised a million dollars in, in funding. And they went on to raise 120 million. I was the seventh person there and we eventually grew to, you know, over 300 people. And it was it was honestly incredible. It was like being on a rocket ship. And it was really, if you think about the dot com, that was, you know, how you, you would think in your mind exactly how it was at that time. We had so much fun and it was just an incredible opportunity to just be at be taking part of such an incredible time and such an incredible like the infancy of the internet, I would say. Yeah, wow. And uh so what happened next? Uh, then it didn't end up, you know, <laughs> wasn't all parties and glamour. So, you know, unfortunately, the company I, you know, had worked for, we were a precursor to Dropbox, but there was no AWS or cloud computing and infrastructure to support that was was limited and very expensive. So I guess that was which which caused a lot of a very high burn rate for the company. So unfortunately, my dot com dream uh in my the dot-com bubble burst you know and the company unfortunately went bankrupt um and i was i was a casualty so i i told my you know my great all my friends to come work for me i hired pretty much everyone i knew from college it was really yeah it was so much fun and then it it became you know what the best part then became the worst part and i had to you know people believed on in me and they bet on me and i had to lay them off um you know, and then I had to eventually lay off myself, um, close off, you know, turn off the lights and, and shut the doors and put the locks on. And it was devastating. So really, you know, (laughs) became the worst thing that unfortunately ever happened to me. And, you know, it's like in an instant, someone pushed a lead on my life and my future, my identity, my, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, stock went up in flames and was worth nothing. And, you know, I think, it was just one of those times when you're like, what am I going to do? You know, I definitely hit rock bottom. Yeah. So what happened next? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I did what every, every, everyone would actually do was, uh, I called my parents and, you know, they said, Kim, we told you so, you know, this is not, um, 
The internet's a fad. It's a fad. We told you to get a real job. <laughs> this, this is not, you know, this is a bad, go get a real job. And I, I thought to myself, you know, I'd seen the inside though. I saw the opportunity from digital advertising. I saw that this was, you know, a, an opportunity that was going to, you know, advertising would be reinvented. And I thought I was going to make, you know, I, I believed I could create a company that could offer that opportunity to advertisers. The only problem was I didn't have any money because I, I was bankrupt. Um, I was embarrassed. And obviously, I didn't have any friends because they didn't want to talk to me. So uh, I called the one person who I thought might might give me a loan to, you know, to start. Not, you know, not not thinking about my my history, obviously, with the bankruptcy was not helping me. So my my 90 year old grandma, <laughs> I called her up and I said, Nanny, I've got this amazing idea for company. It's on it's on the Internet. And she said, I don't know what the Internet is. <laughs> it's incredible. It's a credible opportunity. And she's she asked me and she really, you know, she asked me, well, what makes you think this can be successful? I'm like, well, I just worked for this incredible company and I could see the opportunity. And she's she asked, well, what happened to that company? And I said, well, it went bankrupt. I'm, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be different. And, it, you know, looking back, she, you know, she believed in me and she didn't know what the Internet was. And she, my track record really didn't matter to her. She, you know, she believed that what she believed in me and she believed in what I believed in. So she gave me a, a $10,000 loan. You know, looking back, I, I I bought a computer. I bought a GoDaddy account. I made a website and I bought a one way ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> and, you know, looking back, why Hawaii is because I could live rent free with my boyfriend at the time. And I, I was trying to find, I needed somewhere to stay. I didn't have any money. And so I was, I, I took a bed and I, I went and stayed and lived with him. Little did I know his, his sister and her friend were living with us too. So we were all living rent, rent free on him. <laughs> and you know, and I started from my kitchen table or his kitchen table, which they, you know, which we, we, we all were, you know, we're all at. And I think what's interesting is, you know, what I didn't mention is really his sister and her friend were sitting next to us watching MTV all day, smoking weed. So my office was full of smoke and, you know, it's hard to concentrate and it was great to ideate. So it, it definitely helped in the ideation phase, but the concentration was kind of concerning. So I sat there for, you know, honestly, nearly three years, but I, I believed and I was committed and, you know, I wasn't learning the, I wasn't learning the hula or learning to surf. I definitely was drinking some pina coladas. So, you know, I just, I believed in, in the opportunity and as digital continued to grow again and the market bounced back, you know, the business continued to grow with it, which was really, you know, an exciting time to see that dream start to become a reality. Hmm. I see. So this is frontline direct. Can you tell us more about um, just for for our audience what what you guys did? Because I know you, you're acquired, and, and we can we can talk about all that and more. But yeah, just for context. So yeah, so Frontline Direct was a digital marketing company pairing brands and um, with online advertising. So we'd go um, search for brands that wanted to move their money from traditional means of advertising onto the internet. And at that point, it was early, so it was you know limited to the types of digital advertising they could do, but it included you know um, 
mostly paper performance advertising. So really about generating similar to search where you could, you know, pay based on the actions the advertiser received. Because at that point, advertisers didn't want to spend brand dollars. They were willing to risk, you know, they just weren't willing to risk a lot of money on the branding, which I think is such a huge part of the digital advertising opportunity today. There wasn't any, you know, that was way before Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and any social media or video. So truly at the infancy of the internet and just really, you know, the the companies evolved from where we were today, you know, and we eventually got acquired by a European uh, marketing company um, to really increase their footprint across across all of the the U.S. So it was truly a strategic um, land grab, and we happened to be in a great opportunity um, to be able to to be able to partner. I see and. Like Frontline Direct, um, from, from my research, uh, it, it grew pretty fast. Like, you know, in the first two years, you hit 3.5 million top line revenue. And uh, within seven, eight years, you were turning over 100 million. We did. Internet advertising grew just as fast. So when you look back at the statistics on how the digital ad spend grew, we probably mirrored that just in terms of the amount of dollars that marketers move to the Internet. You know, we happen to be in a right. I mean, really, timing's everything. And I think we were in at the right place at the right time in order to be able to capitalize on that. Yeah, that's incredible growth. Um, Besides, I guess, the vehicle and the opportunity, because you said you were you were, you were saying rent free at your boyfriend's place for <laughs> yes, three years. So yes. that means, uh, you know, the company would have been turning over multiples of millions of dollars. How come you still stayed there at that time? Like you could have afforded to move out, right? We were profitable. So a really key thing about when I, you know when I started my own company was getting back to basics, the basics of business, which is not the dot-com millionaire try to raise as much money as I possibly could, but back to how do I run a profitable company, a company that actually self-sustaining, right? And that was the focus. I didn't take any funding in. I didn't want to answer to anyone. I just wanted to have, honestly, a great life and the freedom to, to create that. And so I fundamentally, and honestly, I'd been very scarred from the from the bankruptcy, right? And having people, you know, letting all my friends go and just being in that situation was, you know, takes a toll on you. And I just never wanted to be in that position again. And so it's really was about playing it safe. Um, I mean, focus on profitability as well as growth and not putting myself in a position where I was overextended. That's what I, now when I see everyone put, you know, you always get concerned when you move to the fancy office building. It's overextending, right? I, and that's, I, I get concerned. Yeah, I see. So did you raise any capital for Frontline? No, didn't raise. No, I, I didn't. I, I mean, I got the loan from my nanny, which I paid her back. But <laughs> nope, <laughs> I did not raise any any capital. Um, no, I, I, I really, I self-funded and I... I I really wanted to just make a bet on myself. It's like, I I just believed in the opportunity. And that way, you know, honestly, if it did fail, it'd be my own failure. Yeah, that makes sense. And did you move 
like so you set so you built a, a team and office in Hawaii? No, so that after three years, we actually just due to family circumstances moved to San Diego to be closer to um, to family. And I took actually in the first office. I went. I mean, I totally upgraded from my kitchen. So I moved out of my kitchen and I moved into the storage room of a friend that had an office in San Diego, and there was no windows, literally. Wow. <laughs> and so. But, I, you know, and I think it charged me a thousand bucks a month or something, you know, nominal, which was, again, you know, it was an upgrade from where I was. So I was really excited. But it was there that, you know, we really started to build a team. And that's, you know, that was really core to, you know, the start. I think, you know, we, we didn't last there that long. I don't, you know, maybe six months until we got her own office space, but just moving from um, you know, Hawaii to San Diego. Yeah. Was, I can remember interviewing people in, you know, in one of their nice conference rooms and then we'd go into the, the actually where we were working. And I think they were a little concerned, but (laughs) it turned out well in the end. Yeah. Wow. And, um, when you were acquired by the European company, um, uh, did, are you able to share those, are those numbers public? How much it was acquired yeah, for? Yeah, we acquired about um, over thirty million, including the earnout. So yeah, it was a great exit. Yeah, wow. And um, then you said that company was acquired. You said offline. Um, we were talking <laughs> that guy was a company. Uh, that company that acquired you guys uh, was acquired by a Singaporean company. And now you guys and you are. Uh, the CEO is—is is that correct? Yeah. So in 2008, we sold, and I had a, a couple year earnout, which we, you know, we we went through, and then I actually ended up taking over as CEO of that company as well. Oh wow! Um, and just having the same experience, and then you know, in 2014, we split off the assets. That one had also raised, you know, the company that acquired us had raised another 120 million in VC funding, and the market you know, was, was tough. And I think some of the ideas, you know, they had, they had intentions of, you know, doing an IPO, but again, timing is everything. And the market was not in our favor and we had to continue to raise cash and the VCs were going to, you know, they were at their seven years, they were coming up and we had to, if we want to continue that journey, we had to find a strategic. And that's when, you know, that that's a, the time when we, you know, sold to, we sold the assets, um, uh, and we had European presence. We had America and Australia, and we sold the U.S. and Australia business to Singapore Telecom. Got you. And now you're still you're still internally working at this company, right? Yes, I am. I'm the CEO of Amobi, and Amobi's got about a thousand people globally, um, and about twenty five offices all around the globe. And two, two in Australia, we have a, a nearly a hundred people there and, you know, we're really, you know, just focused on continuing that vision and continuing to, you know, transform digital advertising. Yeah. Wow. So, um, I want to talk to you around that cause I've, I've got a few questions around more, maybe more of the tactical side, but, um, you wrote a book also called The Execution Factor, The One Skill That Drives Success. Um, I'd like to talk about that book and the premise um, because I'm very big on execution too. Um, at Founder, we we put out a lot of stuff and some of it, I think, 
is purely just from shipping. Like we call it, we, it's a process we call shipping. Um, sim- similar kind of meaning, you know, shipping, execution, just getting things out there, getting it done. Well, it, it is a little different, but we're very big on execution. And I think um, it is really, really important. But what compelled you to write this book? Yeah, Uh you know, it's exciting. I think after I sold the first time in 2008, I started investing in other entrepreneurs because I knew and I had firsthand experience, number one, just how hard it is to be an entrepreneur and how lonely it is to be an entrepreneur and just wanting to, um, you know, mentor and advise just based out of my own experiences. And so I started investing in, you know, different startups that I thought was interesting. And then eventually, you know, today I've invested over 70 startups. And then I started to, you know, they, a lot of them started to sell, you know, to Apple and Intuit. And obviously I'd sold the Singtel. So looking back, I wanted to understand, was there, you know, was, was it timing? Am I lucky? I don't know. Is it, or is there something else? Right. And when I looked back, there's a red thread of all the successful companies I've invested in. And that was not that they had a great idea. Sure. Great ideas are table stakes and there's a lot of them. It was that the companies out executed, like they just out executed. And when I, you know, and just given my time thinking about, well, how do I share these learnings and this formula of execution with other individuals who were probably me sitting at my table, right? There's, you know, everyone has a kitchen table or they started a garage or they started, you know, they started somewhere. And if I could shortcut the system and let, you know, share based on my own experiences what is important for as an entrepreneur that, you know, that was really meaningful to me. And I I just felt like my grandma made a bet on me and I was going to pay that back. Yeah, that's really cool. So um, tell me around like this formula or this, I guess, process around like the execution factor. Like you said that the, they just like these companies uh, out executed their competitors, um, like what what are some unique things there? Because it's it's one thing to just put things out there. It's one thing to get a lot of things done. Like was it was it a, was it the culture? Was it was it the leaders? Was it uh, the the market? It was like yeah. Talk to me around that. Yeah, I, when I looked at it and just looking at you know really taking it from a people perspective an entrepreneur's perspective it's like if i was to teach myself what i've learned over two decades of experience i would it's the skills and the traits that are that that have to be mastered and and one of those is you know vision so as a great entrepreneur you have to have that crystal clear vision of what you want to achieve right that that it, it is table stakes and but that's not enough i've seen so many great ceos that are so lost in their vision that they actually don't don't understand that the market demand is probably not there yet right and and or or they don't have enough capital in order to get to where they want to go so vision is not enough and i think it's important it's definitely a, a clear important trait of execution but it's not the only one i think that's what the book shares is yes you have a need to have a crystal clear vision but you also need you know, four other traits in order to really master execution. And what are those? 
So once you have a clear vision, you need to have passion and passion is the Latin root word for pain or suffering. So what are you willing to suffer for? And that's sitting in your kitchen for three years. I don't know how many people would have done that, right? Or that is working out of a back of a somewhat your, your friend's, you know, company with no windows, or is that just staying up all night? Is it getting up early? Is it working the weekend? Is it, it's doing things you just don't want to do, but you're so passionate about achieving your vision that you do them anyway. And I think that's important. And what are the other two? What's the other two? (laughs) So there's three more. So the third is once you have your vision and you're passionate about it, well, that doesn't matter. I mean, busyness does not equal progress. You have to take action, but like very action with intention. And so it's about taking that very first step. So I meet people all the time that say, Kim, I've got this amazing idea. And I'm like, great. What have you done to, you know, bring it to life? And, you know, basically the conversation stops there because Dreaming is easy, doing is hard. So taking that first step towards your vision and taking a step every single day to get you closer. So whether that is you want to start a company, whether that is uh, you know getting a business license, doing the research, whether that is honestly like going out and asking for you know to, if you're going to raise capital, like it hurts. You've got to go. I mean that is that's hard. So how do you go out every single day and you're going to get rejected? And I think that's number four. The fourth trait is resilience. You are going to get rejected. Like I've never seen an overnight success. And honestly, it is hard. So let, I I think that's why, you know, resilience is an important trait of any entrepreneur. There are going to be times when you want to just throw in the towel. And I have so many of those where, you just think it's the end, but you keep going. And so it's getting knocked down and nine times and getting up 10, right? And keep going despite every person telling you you're crazy. It's a fad. It's not going to work. I mean, I've heard it all. Yeah, I see. And um, when it comes to, I guess, so 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 these five elements create yes. the execution factor. They do. The fifth one is the, is 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 the what it brings it all together, which is you know, somebody you were saying in culture. It's the relationships. You know, success is not easily achieved alone, and it's surrounding yourself with healthy, inspiring, and supportive relationships that truly enable you to be to be successful. And that's having great mentors. It's having great partners. You know. I, I honestly would not be here today without all of the people that have helped me along the way. And that's why, you know, it's key to any successful company or entrepreneur. Honestly, it's a principle of life, I would say as well. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, no, I can, uh, each, each time you talked me through uh, those key formula ingredients, um, I was thinking about it around how, how does that stack up for me? And, you know, one thing, um, I'm really, really focused around what, as we try and grow founders is just building an incredible team. And, um, that, that seems to be from what I, from my experience, um, seems to be one of the strongest traits across all these successful companies is they have incredible people. Mm -hmm. It it is, it is. And people that 
you know, want to win together. A lot of the people that are with me today have been with me for a decade, right? We've been through two acquisitions. It's like they believe and we're we're in it to win it. We're here together to do something great because success is really best shared with everyone else. Like that, well, there's no fun in being successful alone. Yeah, I agree. And it's fun. Yeah, it's fun to win together. Um, one thing I, I'm quite fascinated about is Everybody talks around, you know, it's it's great to you, you've got a higher A players building team where is where it's at, and I and I agree, I am seeing that with our growth, we've got an incredible team, but they're actually it's actually not something that people often talk about or share from a content perspective on acquiring A grade talent or or, or hiring A grade talent. It's it usually most of the things you read about or learn about a lot of it's around. I guess starting um, that that's where majority or, or, or growing, you know, like tactics, right? Right. Like, you know, this latest tactic. So I'm curious to hear, you know, how have you been able to attract great talent and, and also retain great talent? Yeah, I, I'm focused. I, I'm, I am focused on bu- building an A bench, right? Like the best of the best. You know, but what I've learned over time is that I, you know, to, to scale, and I think this is really important, like at what, what scale it hits is it's not about having a team of champions. It's about having a champion team. And that's different because that means they have to work together. So I, you know, as the businesses evolve, you're not a one man show anymore. It's just too big. And so it's making sure that you can work together. And I think that has been, from my experience, you know, so important. I think you see it, you know, with the, with the first team, with the founder team, you always see it because you're, everyone's doing everything. But as you grow, it's about, you know, there isn't just one person that makes an organization. It's about having individual experts within the organization that are best at what they do and can play as a team. It becomes more and more important, I believe, as the bigger you get. Yeah. And um, at what point do you do you? Because one thing um, I find interesting as well is is yes, people talk about A players, but then it, it comes down to at what stage uh, do do you go from generalist to specialist? Because at the start you want all these generalists, like you said, everyone's doing everything, and that's that's kind of normal. But then you work towards transitioning. Like how did that? How, how have you seen that happen? Because one thing I've found is just like how you talk around, you know that the skill of execution that drives success, um, you can move faster if you have specialists versus generalists or everybody doing everything. (laughs) Yes, I I would agree. I think it depends based on my experience on the size of an organization and also the individual people. So I've, you know, and I've come to have a really healthy respect since I started in my kitchen you know, I under, I love the entrepreneurial spirit, right? I, I love that. I believe in it. I like that you can get a lot done. Um, but how do you, the, the same people at a hundred or even a hundred million, right? Like may not be the same as half a billion, right? That they, they may be better at the founder start, right? Like founders are founders for a reason. And then, you know, it's interesting to see different you know, different people at different types and sizes of a company, they excel. And I've seen it, you know, it's interesting just, and then they, they, they're probably not happy at some point either, or some make it through a lot, you know, through the scale, but people are, 
you know, from my own experience, it's a different type of person. You need a different type, you know, different phases of the organization. And it's me. I think it's self-reflecting and being like, am I still happy with that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. Um, is it really, really difficult when that time comes though? For Oh, it's so hard, right? It's so hard because you're a team. So any change to that team, regardless, will is, I think, hard on the organization, but usually it's in the best interest of our company to be able to scale. Yeah, I see. And um, when it comes to, to execution as well, uh, have you found that these companies, uh, from your experience, have a, have a shipping or execution-based culture, um, uh, uh, certain personality types or... Personality, I don't think, you know, honestly, I think that personality would come back to a relationship. Like you have to appreciate and value the strengths of others. So I think that's important regardless, but I'm not sure, you know, it's an interesting, just if you look at all the companies, what, what's most important is that you surround yourself with people that have all of the traits, right? Like that would be the ideal team. You have a visionary. You have someone that looks at the relationships. You have someone that's just going and doing. <laughs> you have someone that's keeping the passion and, you know, and you have someone that's really looking at how do we continue to move forward despite setbacks and challenges, right? I think that, my my opinion, would be the ideal team to have, right? Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, so have you... Uh... Like with with uh, these these companies that you've invested in, uh, do you when like do you look for uh, solo founders like yourself, or are you looking for three co-founders, four co-founders? Does it matter? Like, yeah, like, I don't what, think it matters. I mean, it's re- you know the formula is to make sure that the that the founder or the co-founders. I think all of those can work as long as they respect each other and respect the differences. It's really a respect and understanding. You know, it goes back to your specialist. It's understanding who's in charge of what. I think that's where you find the most conflict is between. You know that that's where I've seen the most conflict is there's not there's ambiguity on who's who's in charge of what. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Well, look, um, I want to switch gears and we have to work towards wrapping up, Kim. Um, you talked around, because uh, you're, uh, you know, obviously a lot about performance marketing, direct response and advertising, paid advertising online, digital. Um, you know, one question that I think a lot of people think about or get exposed to is, is like brand this whole branding versus direct response stuff. And you said that um, you think there's a really strong opportunity to do basically investing uh, money in digital advertising on just brand and not direct response. So I spend a dollar and I can correctly measure that I get $3 back. What did you mean by that? No, I think that was, I mean, I more direct response. And, you know, when I started, I think the market shifted and more top of the funnel dollars are coming in. I actually think you need both, right? You need top of the funnel branding dollars as well as bottom of the funnel, um, uh, execute, you know, really ROI or ROAS in terms of ad spend. So I think you need both of them. I think we've at, we're at a historic time in technology and advertising and, there's been a shift and fragmentation of consumer consumption of media. And that 
demands that marketers change how they're interacting with the consumer. And that's where we believe, you know, we're, we're perfectly positioned to compete. Um, you also see the convergence of media over time. So in terms of social and programmatic and TV and digital, right, the digital video, you're seeing the convergence of all these coming together. And there's opportunities really to provide leading advertising solutions for this converging world that we are in today. And it's exciting to see the evolution um, from an advertising perspective in terms of the opportunity for marketers and advertisers, you know, really to be able to follow and and have an opportunity to reinvent advertising as it as you know as a new opportunity for themselves right when you look at just the differences of how the market shifted from traditional tv advertising and brand advertising to ott uh you know vod there's so many opportunities and i don't think it's one or the other i think brands are more comfortable today with brand advertising and there's an opportunity to really leverage both brand and direct response for, you know, the, the ideal marketing mix. Yeah, I see. And like, let's just say you're a startup and you're doing, let's just say a few hundred thousand dollars a year in, in revenue. Um, and you've got, let's just say a budget of five to 10 grand to spend a month. What sort of split like, would you, like, if you were to do percentage-wise, like, you know, like, direct response versus branding, just so people can get a little I, bit of clarity. I see, if I do straight direct response, I yeah. do search, I do paid, I, I would actually try to do as much direct response as possible. You only have so much money, you don't have time to brand. You're, you got to run short one way, you got to figure out how to get more leads in the system to capitalize on. Like, that has to be your focus. Yeah, and then once maybe you're, you know, you know, 10 million plus. Yeah, exactly. An established brand for sure. But for a startup, without a doubt, I'd say focus on lead generation to help increase your sales. So you can get um, the scale to be able to become a brand that would do a branding campaign. Yeah, got you. And then when you're doing perhaps, you know, 10, 20 million dollars, you can, you can do 10 to 10 to 20% brand and then 80% direct response. I think, it, you know, as a, as a business, <laughs> your job is to make, to, you know, to increase your customer base, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious, just uh, a couple of last questions. Um, one thing that uh, pops up around is around your success as a founder and your identity attached to that. Um, you, you, you mentioned something uh, that I thought was interesting around, you said that, um, with this, the startup, the startup that you joined, and uh, you were like the, an early stage hire there in the founding team, and it went bankrupt. You said you lost a big part of your identity. Um, when you sell your company, um, you know, and, and you went to an earnout period, and now you're actually the CEO after two acquisitions. Um, do you do you did you feel a loss of identity or? You know. I- it's a journey, right? As a founder, you it's like a baby. You feel it's your baby. You're creating it from scratch, right? And I think from my experience, since I've, you know, had great success in selling companies, it's, it's, I look at it as it's maybe like marriage. You're not, you know, it's not the end, but a beginning of a new life or a new opportunity. And so really, I think it's perspective. 
you know, it's not, it's not just me anymore sitting at my kitchen table. There's a thousand people around the world. So the company is the people in it and that's what makes great companies. And so mine real, you know, my, my, my identity definitely is not, um, it's different than a founder identity and mentality, I think, at this point. But we have done, you know, dozens of acquisitions over the last 20 years. And as an acquirer, I love the founder. So I, I think that's something I just respect. Um, you know, I have immense respect for because I've, I've been there and I've done that. And it's hard. And if we can continue to keep that entrepreneurial DNA in companies, even after they're acquired, I think the companies continue to be as you know incredibly successful. I think that's hard to keep founders once they've been acquired engaged. Yeah, that's interesting. I because I I agree that's something a trend that I've noticed as well and there's other companies that are very very passionate about that um you know founder led. Right. Yeah, and it's exciting and I think you get you have, there's a DNA, right, that that comes with it. And so how do you continue to keep that founder DNA while creating something scalable and leaving a legacy. Yeah, I agree. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up, Kim. Um, last question is uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? Yeah, great. Uh, please, I actually, with the book launched, I launched an execution fund and I put the first million dollars in and all royalties of the book actually go into the fund as well. So oh, wow. my, yes, that's at kimperell.com. I highly encourage any aspiring entrepreneurs to go and, and submit an application. I'm looking for great entrepreneurs that can execute and, you know, really want to just continue to pay it forward and make a bet on, you know, a bet on the next person sitting at their kitchen table. Amazing. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Kim, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it was great chatting with you. Oh, it was great chatting with you too, Nathan. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. All right. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.